Happy New Year, everybody. You know, I, uh, I ran into somebody in the parking lot this morning. I was walking back toward the truck, and uh, they saw me going toward the truck, so I came in, and they said, Richard, we thought you was done. We thought you, because it's about time to, to come to worship, and they were, they were thinking, well, he's, he's already had enough. He's, he's, gonna, he's leaving. <laughs> no, we were laughing about that because um, it's a great joy to be here. Um, I'm looking forward to the time that we get to spend together, uh, that I'll have the opportunity to preach to you and get to know you a little bit better. Um, I've enjoyed every minute of it so far and look forward to the days ahead, however long or short those may be. Um, I appreciate Matt so much. You know, when, you get, when you're on church staff and you're not the pastor, there's always a line on your resume that says, duties as assigned by the pastor. And that just pretty much means whatever the pastor needs. So what I needed this morning was a bottle of water. So he was very kind to go track me down one. Um, I've been having a little bit of sinus issues, and I really think part of it is caused, you know, if you have a heat pump and it runs all the time, which I don't know about you, but this whole week of Christmas when it was so cold, our heat pump, I think it ran, uh, you know, 78 hours without taking a breath. And it dries out the air inside the house. And I think that's kind of affected my sinuses, and I was afraid I'd get into a coughing fit, so I have my emergency kit up here for me today. We're going to look at several different passages of Scripture today as we think about 2023. Um, You know, big excitement last night. I don't know how many of you stayed up to welcome the new year, but there was some pretty exciting football on, um, if you were inclined, so inclined to watch that. But... um, you know, we, they're coming with the excitement of a new year, coming with the opportunities of a new year. A lot of times there's anxiety because when we look at the world politically, economically, I mean, everything from the stock market to Bitcoin, and I don't even, I've just said more than I know about Bitcoin. Um, but Apparently, it's, not mo- it's money that's not real, but it's kind of there, and I felt like that's kind of been my money all my life, so I'm not sure there's a big difference. But, but we hear all this stuff in, in the news, and the news can be very confusing, and we live in a world that can be very inconsistent because very few things in our life are consistent. Think about all those people that were stranded over Christmas. I mean, I, I, I so felt for them, whether it was Southwest Airlines or Delta or American. I mean, the weather affected our travel. I mean, you expect to go to the airport, you expect to stand in line, go through security, get on an airplane, and get to your destination. But how often does that really happen? Sometimes things get out of line, just like they did over Christmas with the weather, and people face delays. Planes and, and trains and schedules change. Appliances break down, usually right after the warranty has expired. Um, you know, the check is not always in the mail when somebody says that's where you'll find it. So we see a lot of inconsistencies in our world, and we see a lot of things that can make us very concerned about the future. Um, I would recommend that you not look at all the predictions that are coming out. You know, if you 
go to the grocery store right now, you're standing at the supermarket checkout line, and there's all these headlines on these p newspapers, usually National Enquirer and others, all these people that are making predictions about what's going to happen in 2023. But you know what the truth is? If you go back and check on them, you'll find that they're wrong much more often than they're right. And the reason is, we just don't know about the future. I mean, there's literally nothing we can know about the future. We can make predictions, but we can't make them with any confidence because we are time-bound. So we can't know what the future is going to hold. We're pretty good about what's in the here and now. I mean, if we're looking around and paying attention, we can tell you what's happening now. But even now, that's become confusing as there are so many different opinions about what's happening now and about what it means. And it depends on where you get your news from and, and where you read and the people you read after to be an, able to interpret what's going on in the world today. Sometimes even that can be less, we can be less than confident about those things that are happening. We can know a good bit about the past if we've been good record keepers. So the past, yeah, we can, we can get some good information from the past. The present, if we're paying attention and reading the right things and staying tuned in, we can know about. But the future, we really don't know much about it. So as we head into 2023 and we think about that, I want to give you five things that you can know for sure about 2023. Because there are some things that are sure that the Bible teaches us that we can take to the bank, as they say. Not to the Bitcoin bank, but you can take to the actual bank where, you, where most people take and deposit their money. And the first thing is, God's Word is true and powerful. You can count on that. It doesn't matter <coughs> Excuse me. what else happens in 2023. If you go to the Word of God, it's dependable. Proverbs 35 says this, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in Him. Prayer is the lifeline of the believer. God's Word is the anchor. When you think about being anchored to something that won't move. You know a ship that's sitting in a harbor somewhere? It is at the will of the waves and the wind. If there's nothing holding it to something solid. But a ship that is anchored can hold in place if there's enough anchor to hold it from being tossed around by the winds and the waves, then it can be safe. It can be secure. Same thing in our life. We can be tossed. We can be pushed about by the winds of the world, by the currents of the culture, or we can be firmly grounded in the Word. You know, a person who waits until marriage to engage in any kind of sexual activity and then is faithful to their partner for their entire life, they never have to worry about a sexually transmitted disease. In fact, I, I tell people all the time, I have, I have the cure. I've, I'm, I'm the guy. I'm, I'm the miracle doctor who's come up with the cure for all sexually transmitted diseases. I just gave it to you. If everybody adhered to the biblical standard of sexuality and sexual relationships, we would wipe out an entire category of illness and disease. Think of that. Because God intended for us to behave in a certain way, and there are consequences for deviating from that. A person who considers their body the temple of God, they're never going to have a drug problem because they're never going to put things into their body 
that can alter it in a way that dishonors the body because the body is the temple. It is the residence of the presence of God. And so when we treat our bodies that way, there's so many things we don't have to worry about. We don't have to worry about how many drinks we can have before we get behind the wheel if we just don't have any. We don't have to worry about the effects of alcohol in our life, on our marriage, on our health, if we just don't have any in our life. And those are decisions that we make, but it's the thing that God has said the way things are supposed to work. A a person who understands the tithe. I promise when Denise and I, in our marriage, in our home, in our house, we determine that 10% of what comes to us belongs to God, and it goes where God directs. It's His money. He has said, now it all belongs to Him, but 10% is holy and set apart. And when we live our lives that way, we'll never be a beggar looking for bread. I believe God's Word is true. The Bible says it's the only place in the Bible where God says, test me on this. Try me out. See if I'm serious. I will open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you cannot contain. And I've discovered in my own life, in my own home, with my own family, that that's been the case. Now, we're not wealthy. We're not, you know, we we don't have a whole lot of money. But we have everything that we need, and it's all provided by the hand of God. When we're faithful and believe that giving begins with obedience to the standard, and then God will give back and will provide according to His Word and according to His will. You know the interesting thing? If you always tell the truth, you don't have to keep up with the number of lies that you've told. It just makes life easier. Just be honest, and you don't have to worry about getting caught in a lie if you always tell the truth. If you're always accurate in forms you fill out and in the way that you live your life, you don't ever have to worry about, is somebody going to come and check up on me? You can say, you know what? My life is an open book. Here it is, because I've chosen to live my life according to the way God has laid it out in the Scripture. And it's a guard and a shield unto me, as the writer of Proverbs said. Hebrews 4.12 says, The Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. You see, God's Word is the only thing in our world that can lift the fog of confusion that we find ourselves in. It comes all the way into our lives. And and if we let it do what it does, it cuts away the false things. It cuts away the bad things. And it leads us to the truth. It reveals the content of our character and the motivation for every action. It replaces confusion with confidence, callousness with celebration, and covetousness with contentment. You know, that's another thing about God and His Word. If I want to be content, Paul said I've learned in every state that I'm in to be content. I knew a girl from Texas one time that really needed to memorize that verse because she was not in Texas. She was never happy. And I took, she came to South Carolina, and I was her pastor for a while. And I quoted that verse to her one time. She was always talking about how much better and how much good things are going on in Texas. I said, you need to learn to be content in every state, including South Carolina. It didn't work. But in any event, contentment keeps us from coveting. You know, if you're happy with what God has done, 
then you're not going to long for things that will, will take your focus away from the things that are most important. And sometimes that can be tricky. And for a long time, I wanted a bass boat. I thought, if I just had me a bass boat, boy, I could go out and fish. I love to fish. I like to bass fish. And you know, I, I, I finally got to a point in my life where I got me a bass boat. And it was, it was used, but it was nice. Had a 150-horsepower Johnson outboard motor. Had the live wells and the swivel seats and the trolling motor. It had all the stuff, you know. And I remember getting in that boat the first day to go fishing. I backed it in. I'm so proud. I backed that boat into Lake Hartwell, got in it, you know, got the truck put away, got back in the boat, started out across Lake Hartwell. Man, I'm grinning. I got my head back. I got the wind blowing through what's left of my hair. And I'm going down the lake, and I'm just enjoying life. And here comes this bass boat passing me with a 200-horsepower Black Max Merc on the back. And it just flies past me like I'm not even moving. And without even thinking about it, I said, boy, I wish I had one of them. <laughs> what? Why can't we be at peace? God's Word brings a sense of peace. When we embrace it, when we embrace what God has for us, when we're not covetous about other things, then we can actually come to a state of peace. Another thing God's Word does, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, here's the key, may be made complete, Thoroughly equipped for every good word. Now that word inspiration means literally God breathed. You've probably heard that a hundred times. It's true. <coughs> it means that the very word of God is breathing out his truth into our life. It's a living thing. And it has the power to change us from the inside out. If we'll just receive it and meditate, it teaches, it convicts, it instructs, it equips and it makes us complete. And to be complete is to not have anything that we lack. You know, there's, there's a point in every symphony and in every painting that an artist or a musician will tell you that one more note is too much. One more brushstroke will ruin the painting. One more manipulation of the mold will ruin the sculpture. It is complete. That's what God wants for us. His Word makes us complete. It gives us a sense of being finished. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, He said, the last thing He said was, it is finished. Salvation, all that we need has been provided. We can be made complete. There's so many people today, especially social media, it makes us see what everybody else has. You know, you ever go on social media and see the pictures, you know, people's pictures from their trip around the world and, you know, the people they've met and all the places they went. And you're sitting there going, oh, I got to go to work tomorrow. <laughs> One of these people got to get to do all this stuff. Look, be content, be complete. If Christ is in your life, you don't need to add anything else. You have everything you need. What a blessing to know that. That His very presence in our life makes us complete with a need for nothing. 
You know, I know a lot of people will say things like, well, preacher, isn't the Bible open for interpretation? Isn't someone's interpretation as good as yours? Well, the Bible addresses that. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. See, one interpretation is not just as good as another. There are rules of interpretation. I mean, I know people that take the Bible and try to make it say that, you know, certain things that we know the Bible prohibits is okay. They'll try to interpret it in a different way. For example, they they take the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And I've heard a lot of people who read the Bible, study the Bible, they'll address that and they'll say, well, you know, that's not really about homosexuality. That wasn't the problem in Sodom. It was the fact that they were being inhospitable. That was the sin of Sodom. That's why God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, because of a lack of hospitality. And in that part of the world, that's a very serious offense. In that part of the world, that is a very serious offense. But when you read the account of Sodom and Gomorrah, there's no way to properly interpret that if you leave the sexual element out of it, it's right there in front of you. And so, one interpretation is not as good as another. You, when, when somebody approaches the Scripture and they're trying to make the Bible say something that it never was intended to say, you can tell if you read the plain meaning of the text. And then if you get confused about something, here's some good news. The Bible interprets itself. If you need to know something about what God has said here, I guarantee you, if you spend some time and study, you'll find that God has clarified this in other places in the Scripture. It's a a miracle. It's an amazing thing. Let me just, suppose you have special privilege and you're in an airplane and you're sitting in the cockpit. You're actually up with the pilots. And you're getting ready to land. So you've been a very particularly good flyer, so they've invited you to come up in and to watch all the getting ready to land stuff. And so the pilot says to the co-pilot, he says, I've looked at the instrumentation, I'm relying on my experience, I've seen all the data, and I know that we need to make a slight course correction and we'll land safely. And what if the pilot looked at the pilot and said, that's what you think? said, I've looked at the same instrumentation. I've looked at the same data. I'm relying on my experience, and I'm telling you that we need to hold steady on our course. We don't need to make any correction before we land. That's where you pray that you have a parachute on while you're in the cockpit. Because if you don't get out of that plane, you're going to crash with it. Because when there's a disagreement about that, I mean, you just don't hear pilots do that. I mean, they they never have a conversation like that. They don't look at information and say, well, this is open to interpretation. Not if you want to live. Not if you want to safely get from point A to point B. And the Word of God is the same. If you want to live, if you want to thrive, if you want to have a life that's blessed and free from a lot of the anxieties or at least able to push back against the anxieties out there that exist, then you want a life that is filled with the idea that God's Word is true, and it's powerful, and it can make a difference in your life. Second thing, God's will is sure. Proverbs 33.11 says, The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart 
to all generations. A lot of times we pray like this. We say, Lord, we pray your will be done. Can I, can I help you just a minute? God's will is going to be done. The question is whether or not we will be in the will of God when God's will is done. We're not going to affect the will of God. We're not going to cause God to get off course. God's will, when we pray, Lord, in the, in the, in the Lord's Prayer, when we call for the kingdom, of, for it to be on earth as it is in heaven, what we're really saying is, come Lord Jesus, we're looking for the millennial reign. We're looking for that moment when things on earth will be just like they are in heaven. When is that going to happen? What's well, when Jesus comes back? Tony was talking a little bit about that this morning. We're going to talk a little bit more about it in a minute. But that's when the perfect will of God will be carried out. Now, in this world, because God has given us free will, and that's complicated, when we get into we're going to do a study together, if I'm here long enough, of the book of Ephesians. Because I think Ephesians is one of the great places that we learn about how this relationship with God works. How our free will and God's sovereignty come together. But we don't have time to mine those depths this morning. But let me just say, God's will is going to be accomplished. It is sure. Just as His word is complete, God's will is complete. And it doesn't need something else to be required. Solomon put it this way in Ecclesiastes 3. He said, I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing could be taken from it. God does it that men should fear before him. So whatever happens in 2023, we can be confident about something. God's not sitting up in heaven wringing his hands going, boy, I didn't see that one coming. I had somebody ask me one time, I said, preacher, you realize... Has it ever occurred to you that nothing's ever occurred to God? And I went, yeah, that's pretty good. That's true. God, what, what we see is time, moment by moment. That's how we experience it. You know what God sees? When He looks at His creation, everything that was, everything that is, and everything that will be, and he sees it all at the same time. Now, we can't understand that. We can't comprehend it. We don't have anything that is kind of in that realm where we can imagine it even. But we can be confident that God knows all those things. Whatever happens, we can be confident because God's will is sure. Number three, God's ways will bless us. Deuteronomy eleven thirteen through 15 it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and serve Him with all your heart, with all your soul, I will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain, the latter rain, that you may gather your grain and your new wine and your oil. So if we walk in the ways that God has set forth, we will be blessed. Now, does that mean everything in life is going to be a bed of roses and we're always going to be happy and all the circumstances are always going to be good? No. It doesn't mean that. You know, I've had people say to me, Preacher, when you talk about being blessed, I just can't look at my life and see it because I've had so many things happen to me in my life that have been challenging. And I always think about looking through a keyhole in a door. Now, we don't have too many of those anymore. Doors, we've kind of gotten away from keyholes. 
but back when doors had keyholes, you could peer, if the key was not in the lock, you could get down and you could peer into the room through the keyhole. But you couldn't tell if it was filled with gold or filled with hay because of the limited range of your vision. And when we think about God's will and the way He blesses us, we need to remember that. Sometimes we can't see when it's happening, the blessings. We only realize it after enough time has gone by and we're able to look back and to see that God has blessed us. I promise you, no matter what your trial, no matter what your pain, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're suffered, God loves you and there are places if you look for them that He is blessing and taking care of you as a believer. Because that's His promise to us. And God's Word and promises are true. They're sure. I think about it this way. I, I love Josh McDowell's illustration. He decided to teach his children about what it means for God to be able to see things that we can't see in life. So he took them to a maze, one of those hedge mazes, you know. And he, he let them go and said, I want you to navig navigate this and I'll be out here waiting on you. And it took him an hour and a half to get through the thing. I mean, they kept running into dead ends. They'd have to back up, start over again. Then Josh McDowell had himself lifted up on a platform where he could see down into the maze. He said, now I want you to do the maze, and I want you to only take the turns that I tell you. They got through in over, just over four minutes. Why? Because they were listening to the one who had the perspective of the whole picture instead of trying to figure it out one turn at a time. God has promised He will direct our steps. And He can direct them because He sees the whole picture at once. Fourth thing that I want us to see this morning is that God's world is winding down. Tony was talking about this morning. The days of Elijah. You know, we live in a day and age since 1947. There's nothing else major prophetically that has to happen before Jesus comes back. Now, people thought that Je people that thought Jesus was coming back before 1947, they were wrong, because Israel had not been reestablished as a nation. There has to be a nation of Israel before Jesus returns. You look at any prophecy, any scenario, whether you believe in the rapture or you believe we're all going to be here or whether we're going to go up and come back down and the whole thing doesn't matter. Got to be in Israel. And there wasn't one. The gathering of God's people, the Jews, did not happen until 1947. But since then, we live in the present moment of the possibility of the coming of Christ. It could happen at any moment. What a thought. What a blessing. God's world is winding down. We're not ramping up. We're winding down. 2 Timothy chapter 3 tells us what the world's going to look like when we get to this point. Know this, in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Are we there? You ever, you ever been in a, in a car with a bunch of kids? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? You know, I read this passage and I say to myself, yep, that's where we 
are. Now listen to the physical characteristics. Matthew chapter 24, the Olivet Discourse. Jesus told us what the physical characteristics would look like. Many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. There will be famines. <coughs> Excuse me. Famines, pestilences, earthquakes. The church will be persecuted for my name. False prophets will arise and deceive many. Lawlessness will abound, and the love of many will have grown cold. That's what Jesus said about you know, Paul talks about us in Timothy, the moral climate that we will live in. Jesus tells us the physical climate, the way the world is going to look. Romans tells us in Romans chapter 8 that the world itself, all of creation, groans and longs for redemption. Because the world itself is fallen. When sin entered the world, it affected everything. And so here we are. We see the groaning, the birth pains is what Jesus called this. The birth pains of the second coming. We see those in the world today. God's world is winding down. You know, those that think, we may have, a, we ne- we may have another revival. We may, ne- we may have another great awakening. I mean, I don't know if we're going to have another one or not. We might, but I can tell you this, the overall direction from here is going to be down. Because that's what God said. Now, that shouldn't discourage you. It should encourage you. When you read the Bible and you realize how accurate that it is, when you realize that everything Jesus said, everything Paul said to Timothy, all these things are happening right now, we should be encouraged. And Jesus said, you know what we're supposed to do at that moment? Look up, for your redemption is drawing closer every day. Don't be discouraged. Just understand the world that you've been called to live in. We could have been born at any time in human history. But we've been called to live and to wait in this time that is on the precipice of the second coming of Jesus. The final thing, and maybe it's the most important. Not maybe, it is. God's window of opportunity is today. <coughs> Second Corinthians 6.2 Paul said, For he says, In an acceptable time I've heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Here's the, here's the, the money line, as they say. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We live in what's known as the age of the open door. The age of the Gentiles. This is the age where we have an opportunity to come to Jesus. And the parable of the wise and the foolish bridesmaids, there's a moment in time of preparation and then the door is shut. Just like in Noah's day, when Noah entered the ark, For 120 years, he built the ark and he preached. What we forget, Noah preached to the people while he was building the ark. But when he and the animals and his family were in the ark, God shut the door. In other words, there's coming a moment. We don't know when it is, but the moment of opportunity, we know this. The door is open today. There have been so many people... Who have seen that opportunity and taken it think about think about those who were on the cross with jesus one of them refused to see anything 
that Jesus said, and he missed a door of opportunity. The other one saw that door open and said, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus said, today, today, you will be with me in paradise. You think that, you think that person worried too much about what was going to happen after that? I mean, if he really believed who Jesus is, and he believed that word. I think he died in peace, even though it was a horrible death, because he had the promise of God himself that today he would be with him in a place of joy and redemption. What will you do with the window of opportunity that you have that is called today? Believers, we have a responsibility. With our window of opportunity, we pray, we study, and we take in God's Word, and we are His witnesses to a lost and dying world. That is our assignment for today. If you don't know Jesus as Savior, here's your assignment for today. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. If you have not come to know Him, you're still here. God's given you breath for another day. That window of opportunity is open, but if He comes or if you go before you receive Jesus as your Savior, that door will be forever shut. There is no second chance. I don't care what you hear from preachers online. There's a whole movement now saying that there's going to be a second chance, that God is too merciful and too full of grace to have people reject Him in this life and then be separated from Him forever. Can I tell you something? That's heresy don't believe it god has made it clear the window of opportunity is today i pray if you don't know him that you would let one of us tell you what it means to come to know jesus you confess your sins you put your faith in him you ask him to come into your heart and to fill you with the holy spirit the power of the holy spirit and he will do that if you're sincere in that prayer I'm asking you to take that window of opportunity that is today. When I was in college, we had a professor who would take us to New York City during Thanksgiving. Boy, I look forward to those trips. I was really blessed. I mean, they got, we got theater tickets. We stood in line at the discount ticket booth down in Times Square, and we sat in the back row but we sat in the back row to see Zero Mostel do Fiddler on the Roof. We saw Rex Harrison do My Fair Lady. We saw Yul Brenner do a performance of The King and I. We saw Broadway musicals that were just unbelievable. We went to the ballet, and we went to the opera. And I got to tell you, the, the opera was incredible. I was, for three hours, I could not take my eyes off of the scene that I was seeing. The music I was hearing. I had a score in front of me and I was following it. I had a friend of mine from Union. He was, he was groaning over there next to me. And I said, what's the matter, Mike? He said, this thing's going to go on all night. And I said, nope. I said, actually, I'm reading the score. They're singing the last chorus right now. There's a good word there, by the way. If you've got the word of God, you know when we're in the last chorus. And when we need to be ready. But the next night after the opera, we went to the ballet. And I don't want to insult anybody here, but can I just tell you, the ballet lasted for three hours. After 15 minutes, I was done. 
I was looking for the door because there's only so many ways you can jump and land. And in about 15 minutes, they'd done them all. And they were just going to do them again for another two hours and 45 minutes. We would go to New York. But the thing I always wanted, when I was a kid, I wanted to go to Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. I wanted to see those big balloons up close. So we got a chance to do it. And it was a real heartbreaker. Because on TV, you see those balloons when they're at their best. When you see them up close, you see a bunch of men hanging on for dear life, trying to keep those things from being blown from one side of the street to the other. I remember Underdog was always one of my favorites. And Underdog had, you know, he was always flying like this. One of his paws was just hanging down. Because a balloon had drifted over and it hit one of the lampposts and it had popped a hole and this the whole thing was hanging out. And these guys were struggling and they were hanging on and the wind was pulling them this way and then that way. What's that got to do with this? The world may behave like the wind in a giant balloon in 2023. We don't know what the world's going to do. But here's something that you need to know. If you're hanging on to God's word... You're not going to be blown back and forth like you're trying to hold on to a balloon in a windstorm. You'll be stable. You'll get through it. You'll have confidence. Anxiety will not be at your bedside every night and waiting for you when you wake up every morning because you will have confidence that God's Word is true, that God's will is sure, that God's world is winding down, that God ways, God's ways are the best. And you'll understand that God's window of opportunity has now been opened to you. No matter what the world is doing, you've got a window of opportunity to serve Him today. Take it. Let's pray together, and then we'll have our invitation. Father, I thank You for the opportunity that we've had to look into Your Word today and how we've been encouraged by it. Lord, we don't know what 2023 is going to be about, but You know already you know all the way to the end of the year everything that will happen and everything that happens to us during this year will pass through your hands before it touches us. Lord, help us to remember that. If there are those here today who have never come to know you as Savior, I pray they will see that today is the window of opportunity and that they will come and accept you as Savior. Let's stand together as we sing. You come if God is speaking to you. The altar is open here. If you want to come and pray over the new year, please feel free to do that. However the Lord leads.